First reading for this morning is taken from 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving should be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you, if you are uh, interested, to follow along with our New Testament uh, read, the second reading for today. This is found in Luke chapter 16. Last week we uh, looked together at Luke uh, 15, which is a series of three parables the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in some ways, as I'll uh, mention in, in a few minutes, th- this is a continuation of, of Jesus' teaching. So Luke chapter 16, beginning with the very first verse. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man, the manager, was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to him uh, himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is, also, is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Dear friends of Jesus Christ, on Thursday last week, something happened that I have been dreading for most of the last year. I received my absentee ballot in the mail. I'm a U.S. citizen, which most of you could have guessed before I opened my mouth. And I continue to vote in U.S. elections by mail or by post. And this week, the ballot for the presidential election arrived, and and not to be uh, overly dramatic about this, but the day of reckoning has arrived. Uh, I plan to mail it back in a a few days, although I am sorely tempted to throw the whole thing in Lake Zurich. This year, in in case you haven't heard, uh, things in the U.S. are a, a bit more contentious than usual. Is that a fair statement to make? And, and don't worry, I don't plan to mention the candidates' names. I don't plan to make endorsements. I don't plan to say anything more about that election. Uh, but I do want to say something, and I, I feel compelled to say something. And what I feel compelled to say applies to Christians from every country, not just those of us who happen to hold U.S. passports and uh, who are faced with a very difficult decision this fall. Uh, What I feel compelled to talk about this morning is the relationship that we as believers, that we as Christian people, have with the world uh, around us. Uh, I want to spend some time with you today talking about being a Christian in the world today and what that means. You know, it would be nice if we could somehow pretend that the rest of the world didn't exist Uh, We could have our faith and and our personal relationship with God and and our prayer life and all of those wonderful quiet times and and everything we enjoy about this wonderful faith of ours and we could simply ignore the rest. Uh, I have toured lots of monasteries over the years and even though I am initially attracted to the contemplative life and even though I think some people are called to the contemplative life to a quiet, prayerful existence, uh, I think that I would last about one week in a monastery. Two, because I like candles and, and uh, incense and, and regular times of prayer. But taking a vow of, of poverty and chastity and obedience and, and, and then simply withdrawing from the world, I mean, it's, I mean that's not my calling in life. Right, and I'm guessing that it's not the calling of, of very many of us here today. And by the way, if you do feel called to this way of life, I should mention that I have a dear friend from graduate school days who is a brother at a Benedictine monastery outside Chicago, St. Procopius Abbey. And, and from him, this was very surprising to me, uh, not what I expected at all. From him, I learned that there's just as much jealousy and fighting and, and annoying behavior inside the monastery as there is outside. So all I'm saying is be forewarned. So where does that leave us, uh, the rest of us? We live in a culture today that uh, tolerates us most of the time. I know there are countries around the world where Christian faith is most certainly not tolerated. Uh, The theme for our adult education uh, uh, for our adult education this year has been the persecuted church and many of us Uh, took the opportunity to learn more about this subject and and to inform ourselves about the plight of Christians in many countries. And I know that I learned a great deal about that. And frankly, uh, Christians in many places lead a precarious kind of life. Uh, We must not forget them. 
But in the West, in Europe, and in North America, and in a few other places, Christian faith is more or less tolerated. We find ourselves being careful about what we say. Uh, We are guarded in our conversations with other people until we know it is safe to say what we believe. But we are uh, tolerated, more or less. So the question is, what should our relationship be with the rest of the world? Voting is, is part of the relationship, but there's vastly more to it than that. Right? And, and, and what about money or wealth? Just to take one more non-controversial subject. What, what should our relationship be to money and, and material things? As I think you know, Jesus had a great deal to say uh, about money, uh, including the words we heard in our our gospel reading for today. In fact, Jesus had more to say about money than he had to say about any other subject. In fact, one of the words that Jesus uses for money or wealth in in the story I read for you today is uh, mammon, and it suggests an, an impersonal force, something to be concerned about and, and, and wary of. Uh, In other words, money is more than the change or the coins you carry around in your pocket. But all of this biblical talk about money is surprising in a way because we almost never talk about money in the church except when we ask you to help us pay our bills. But Jesus talked about money all the time. He was very comfortable with the subject. Uh, One time a question about paying taxes came up and Jesus said, does anyone have a coin? And uh, after someone uh, produced a coin, uh, Jesus held it up and said, uh, whose picture is that? And uh, <laughs> obviously they said that's the image of uh, Caesar. And, and so Jesus said, then give to Caesar what belongs to him. Give God what belongs to him. And that satisfied uh, uh, everyone until they realized that he was talking about far more than paying taxes. And then one last question What about our relationship with the government, the the government of the country where we happen to live? Uh, You heard that I plan to vote. I hope you weren't shocked to hear that. Most pastors vote, I I think. But what sort of relationship should a Christian have with the government, with people who are in authority, with, uh, I mean, whether or not they are good and decent and moral people? Uh, What should the relationship of the Christian be to the government. You won't be surprised at all to hear me say that Christians over the years have given a wide range of answers to these questions. From the beginning, I suppose, Christians have struggled to come together on this, to find a consensus. Those of you who are taking my creeds and confessions class on Sunday mornings have learned that hundreds, if not thousands, of creeds and confessional statements have been written over the centuries. And we're still writing them. Because we're still trying to find language that expresses what we believe and that that captures what we believe about the God who loves us. I think our readings today, those words from the Apostle Paul and the words I read from Luke's Gospel, I think they give us some important clues. You know, we should know, I think, what the Bible says about all of this. And so I invite you to look with me today and, and to look hard. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, in, encourages the young man to pray. Which sounds so inoffensive, doesn't it? 
Right? Uh, Paul encourages Timothy to offer supplications and, and prayers and intercessions and even thanksgivings for everyone for kings. Oh, that's interesting. For kings and for all who are in high places. And do you know something? I, I, I find this somewhat surprising, especially given that Paul had more than his share of run-ins or conflict with the government, his imprisonments and his punishments. I mean, ultimately, he was to die at the hands of the Roman government. All of that might have produced a spirit of, what would you say, hatred? Uh, anger? Uh, disgust? In some ways, it's shocking that Paul takes this attitude, but I sense that he means it, and, and, and I sense that he would say something similar to us today. Pray for those in positions of authority. Why? And, and, and not because praying for someone is the same thing as agreeing with them. Uh, it isn't. But because prayer, and you have heard me say this before, but prayer has the unusual side effect of, of changing us. What usually happens is that we pray for change in other people. I, I, I pray that you will become the people I would like you to be. No, we, we pray for people we don't like so that they become more likable. But prayer, especially for people we don't like, right, especially for people who have wronged us or harmed us, prayer has this unexpected way of softening our own hearts. Prayer, if we do it right, changes us. And this, of course, is not what we expect, and, 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 and maybe it does not happen right away. The first quick prayer doesn't change us, but uh, over time it does. Try it. I think that, the, uh, that, that we are commanded to do this. This is not optional behavior. And you might say to me, well, okay, I mean, prayer is good, and, and who can argue with that? But, but our system is so corrupt, and, and, and furthermore, politicians are corrupt. And, and even if they started out in their careers with the best of intentions, something about our political process today, certainly the money involved and, and the, the power that goes with it, something corrupts politicians. We, we can't believe anything they say. Have you heard those words? Have you spoken those yourself? And to that I would say, all the more reason than to pray. I mean, I think that that is what the Apostle Paul is urging us to do. But the Bible, and, and I'm sure you'll be happy to know this, uh, tells us to do more than to pray. The, the parable that Jesus tells us in, in Luke chapter 16 is one of the most <laughs> shocking of all of Jesus' teachings. I mean, much of what Jesus said was unusual and unexpected, and, and, and it took them by surprise, and often it left them scratching their heads about what he meant. But, but, but this parable in Luke chapter 16 is on a different level altogether. You may remember that Luke 15 ends with the, the parable of the prodigal son, and it mentions that the younger brother squandered his inheritance in loose living, and interestingly, Jesus never explains what loose living is, but we fill in all the details, right? Uh, we don't have to imagine very hard. We know uh, where that money uh, went. And anyway, chapter 16 comes along, and it's almost as though Jesus is thinking, you know, I should say something about a better use of money. All right, if the younger brother didn't handle his money well, then I should say something about how to do it better. And then he tells this parable, and uh, another one in this same chapter also about money. But here's the thing, this is not at all 
what we would expect to hear Jesus telling us. The, the manager in the story was terribly dishonest, and, and yet, Jesus says, there is something to admire about him. All right, at least that's what he seems to say. And even if you don't like what, what he did, you have to admit that he was shrewd. All right, he has street smarts. Uh, even after he's fired from his position, which he deserves to lose, all is not lost. He has prepared for himself. All the people he used to do business with would gladly have him into their homes. He has charmed all of them. So, Jesus says, you need to think about that. You need to have some of that same shrewdness, some of that same cleverness. Right? As you live your lives in a corrupt world where evil lurks all around us, you need to be smart. And smarter than you often are. Now, some people listen to the uh, Beatitudes from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, and, and, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the pure in heart, and, and blessed are the, the peacemakers. And the picture you have after listening to all of that is of someone who is a pushover. Godliness. Tell me if this isn't how it sounds to you. Godliness sounds like weakness. And to that, I think Jesus is saying, no, that's not it at all. That's not what he meant to tell us. And he's telling us to be smart and strong. We need to be people who are willing to do what is right. At the beginning, I mentioned that, that, that one temptation for Christians is simply to withdraw from the world and, and to have nothing more to do with it. And, and, and living a cloistered life in a monastery is, is one way of doing that, but there are others. And I have to say the temptation is strong, I think, just to walk away. If you are tempted to do that, I, I mean, I, I, who could blame you? Uh, but that's not the only temptation. And I, I think the temptation is just as strong to uh, condemn the world around us. And to point fingers of blame and to say, uh, shame on you. And I mean, every few minutes, shame on you. And, and lots of Christian people, it seems to me, have adopted just this attitude in, in, in their approach to the world around us. And just to be clear, there's a great deal uh, to condemn in, in, in the world today. I, 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 would, I mean, I could find full-time work in, in pointing out all of the sin and evil in, in the world today. Uh, lots of preachers have found great success in, in doing just that. And, and maybe there's room in every generation for one more John the Baptist you know, who dares to call sin a sin. But the question is, what about the rest of us? You know, and, and, and I think it's clear that the Bible is calling us to a, a different way of life, not withdrawing from the world and, and not uh, condemning it either, but, but something that is far more difficult in John's Gospel, this is in chapter 17, this is the prayer that Jesus prays the, the night before he dies. Jesus prays for his disciples that they may be in, but not of the world. He says, I, I, I don't pray that you take them out of the, the world, Father, but I have done my best to remind them that they do not belong in this world. So that in the world, but not of the world formula is one of the, the toughest callings that we have ever received. It's true, isn't it? That and forgiving 
people we don't like. So there are no easy answers for us as Christians. Every day presents new challenges. Every situation requires us to think again about what our faith means. Uh, Who am I in this situation? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ right now with these people? With this election ballot in my hand? With the bank account that God has blessed me with, what does it mean to be friends with that person? Or to be associated with that group of people? Or to do business with that firm? And yes, there are timeless truths and I don't deny that, but that doesn't make them any easier to apply. To be a follower of Jesus means working harder and thinking harder than you have ever worked or thought before. To be a Christian in this world means to live with vigilance and to live with care. To be a Christian in this world means being salt and light. I like the quote, I'm not sure anymore who said this, but a lighthouse doesn't run all over the island trying to save ships. It stays in one place and it shines. I like that. I think that's what we're called to do. Uh, The song I learned in Sunday school many, many years ago still applies today. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And and, and let me end with this word of encouragement. I, I, I don't think that I can let my light shine without you. I don't think that any of us could do it. We need each other. We need the encouragement, of course, to to keep going each day. Some days are more challenging than others, but but we also need good examples around us. I mean, I am inspired to look at you. And and when I see how you have navigated the, the difficult times in your own lives, that is inspiring to me. When I was a child, I would look around the church and I would see a lot of older people. And when you're a child, everyone looks like an older person. And I'm sure that my parents thought that uh, I wasn't getting anything out of it and uh, that I was bored and so on. But uh, I would look around and I would see my dentist. And I would see my school principal. He sang in the choir. And I saw lawyers and teachers and, and owners of small businesses, some of whom were also my Sunday school teachers. And And I was reminded every Sunday as a child that I was surrounded by people who were trying their best to get it right. These were people who were living faithfully, or at least they were doing their best to to live faithfully. And, And I was inspired by them to do the same thing with my life. I am so thankful for them. I wanted to grow up and be like them and, and, and be that same example to other people. Your presence here today in this place, on on this particular morning, whether you know it or not, is a statement. It's a political statement as much as it is a a spiritual statement. You know, about who you are and, and, and what you believe and how you intend to live your life. You have made a statement by walking through those doors this morning. And I am so glad you did. And as, and I want to say good for you. I give thanks for you, and I hope you will continue to make that statement uh, day in and day out with your lives. We belong to God. We have been sent into the world. We are not of the world, but we have been sent into the world. I hope you claim that identity for yourself.
Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for these very difficult but challenging words. And we pray that uh, somehow you will press them on our hearts. So that we become the the strong and faithful people that you have uh, called us to be. Help us to be unashamed of the identity that you have given to us and, and help us to let our lights shine. We pray this.